Well, hello to Shoreline City Church uh, from all of us here at Fresh Life. We are so excited. Jenny, my wife, and I were just thrilled that we would get the chance to be a part of what God is doing this weekend all across your church. And so hello to every single location across Shoreline City Church, uh, to North Dallas, Mockingbird Station, Antigua, Bishop Arts Oak Cliff. Hello. And, uh, and White Rock. Who could forget about White Rock? Come on, every location, say hello to everybody. And if you're a guest, new, visiting, first, second, third time, thanks for being here. Thanks for being alongside the journey, for coming to church. It takes a big step of faith to come to a church for the first time. So come on, thank you for being here. As your pastor said so graciously, my name is Levi, and I'm a part of a, a church called Fresh Life, and we're just so thrilled from across the country getting to watch what happens as you guys take land and reach new people and expand and grow and fight for, uh, for your church to be a place where people who don't know Jesus or uh, are far from God or without hope in this world could come and learn about the gospel and uh, discover their giftings and move into all that God has for you. So we're thrilled. Uh, Jenny and I had the chance to meet uh, your pastors at uh, a retreat, an event for leaders called ILM. And we just, from the moment we met them, of course, you guys were like, yeah, we know all about that. We serve at it every year. And really, all, all those of you we met who are serving from Shoreline City were so incredible and so caring. Uh, my daughter, Olivia, was in, specifically, I could talk about a lot of things, but she was specifically impacted by the time that she had uh, being a part of that event and just the way you guys serve as a church for uh, other churches around the country to be blessed and benefited by is really quite inspiring. And I can guarantee you. God's going to bless you for the way that you're a blessing to so many others. Uh, life-giving leaders are, are, are sometimes, I mean, it shouldn't be so hard to find, but uh, really you guys, you guys stand out, Earl and uh, Onika, just the, the radiance of, of, uh, of, of the love of uh, life you have, love of God and love of others. So thanks for being a blessing to us. You've made our lives better. You've made our world better. And so to have the chance to speak into uh, this exciting uh, special season uh, that you're in, as you guys are really saying, God, we want to mobilize. We want to take new land. That's so important for churches to foster. And of course, you guys began in 2012. And so these now going on eight years of, of ministry that you've been a part of to continue to maintain that spirit will be the perpetual challenge. Because as it's been said that ch any church anywhere in the world is always at any given moment in one of three phases, either your risk-taking, your caretaking, or your undertaking. And if we don't stay in that mode of fight, that, that mode of expansion, that mode of reach and challenge and being uncomfortably comfortable with a discomfort, if you don't stay there, putting it all in again, going all out again, uh, then inevitably you'll move to the, to the mode where you gotta, you gotta take care of what's there. You gotta take care of what you have. You gotta just try your caretaking. And if you get to that mode, that it won't be long before the undertaker is needed. So my prayer for you all would be that you perpetually remain in a state of going all in, of fighting to reach more people and take more ground and and God will bless you as you do that. But of course, the problem is when, whenever God's people mobilize, so does the opposition. And you can see that all across the scripture. 
Anybody who's doing something significant for God, you watch just like clockwork. All of a sudden, there's infighting, there's outfighting, there's, there's all of a sudden difficulty. I think about the story of Nehemiah and just this vision. Let's build. Really, a lot like your pastors. As they've just come to Dallas with a spirit that says, let's build. Let's rise up and build. Let's, let's rebuild the broken places. Let's, let's get this fixed over here. Let's touch. Let's be a church that doesn't exist for ourselves. And, and of course, in the book of Nehemiah, the moment that happens, there's Sam there's Tobias, there's, there's, the, there's the fighting, there's the bickering, there's the threats, there's the difficulty, there's the people getting exhausted. And so we have to really recognize that if we're willing to be complacent and willing to be lukewarm, the enemy's not really going to mess with us. And uh, he'll, he'll pretty well leave you alone. Uh, my pastor growing up used to say that if, if the devil's not been messing with you lately, that's not a good thing. Really, there should be uh, a, a, a sort of spirit of, I want to poke the devil in the eye a little bit. And nothing makes him matter than people coming to know Jesus. Nothing makes the enemy matter than a church that's evangelistic. The devil doesn't really care if you do a potluck. I'm, I'm convinced he doesn't really care if we're just going to sort of really, you know, in an unhealthy way, focus on discipleship, which at times can be a code for telling the world to go to hell, right? That we're we're a church really focused on discipleship. That's, that's what we sort of say when we're not really living evangelistically because there's nothing deeper than people who are headed to hell coming to life in Christ. There's nothing. What it, who is better? Who was better at discipling people than Jesus Christ? And how did he disciple? Did he sit them down and take them through book studies over and over again? No, he said, let's go reach some lost people. Come on, Nicodemus wants a meeting. Come on, let's go over to this, this woman here that they're about to stone to death. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that we have to choose between discipleship or evangelism. Evangelism is discipleship. You say to the person, come with me, we're going to go reach somebody. Come with me, let's go touch them. Let's, let's continue to stay in that spirit. And, and the moment we turn inward as a church, we stop being uh, able to be used by God in the way he wants us to because the marching orders for the church have not changed for 2,000 years. It's go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what he wants us to be doing when he returns and doing so in whatever sphere of industry he's called us to occupy. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, occupy until I come. And that's how you should see yourself showing up for work. I don't, I don't care if you work at Davis Street Espresso and you, you pull shots. These should be the best shots anybody's ever had, right? They should, be, they should be the best coffee, right? Or Oak Cliff Bicycle Shop. I'm just using all the references from the area of Dallas I'm familiar with, right? We could talk Highland Park too. I got some, I got some favorite stores over there as well. But, but you think about whatever it is. If you work in aerospace or you work in tech or you work in, you know, uh, insurance, you, you should be the best at what you do. And that's what gives your witness credibility. Let me tell you something. If you're lazy and crappy at your job. If your pastor doesn't regularly say crappy, just don't worry. He'll be back in a couple short weeks. But <laughs> if you're crappy at your job, just go ahead and don't tell anybody you're a Christian. If you, if you cut corners and you're lazy and you phone it in and you, you do a, a, a half-bottomed job, <laughs> don't even bother telling anybody you're a believer. But if you absolutely crush, if you slay, if you kill, if what you do is optimized and excellent and, and wonderful, then go ahead and, and do that to the glory of God and know that people are going to be wanting to know from you what your secret is, what your story is. And you'll be able to say, well, no big deal. The God who made the world, they did a pretty good job about it. Last time I saw the Grand Canyon, last time I flew over the Pacific Ocean, he did a pretty good job when he made the world. He lives in me. He lives in you. And so if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to go all out. And the cross is our primary motivating factor for excellence because Jesus on the cross went all out 
he went all out. God did not spare his son, but freely offered him up for us all. And if my God didn't go all, didn't, didn't hold back, but he went all out, then y'all, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to do everything I can to the glory of God. I'm going to give my A game effort all the time. I'm never giving the JV. Go ahead in, boys. I'm telling you something every Sunday, every week, every battle, every fight, every opportunity, every phone call, every... Come on, we got to... We got to give everything to God because we only get one go around in this life. And so we have to know that there's going to be opposition. Opposition is table stakes for doing something great for God. If, if, you, get, if you get bothered every time someone critices, criticizes you, if you get bothered, like I get bothered when people say, oh, he can't even say the word criticized properly. <laughs> but if you can't handle the heat, y'all get out of the kitchen. Come on, somebody, right? I, I learned that on a big dog shirt when I was in sixth grade, right? If you can't handle the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Remember big dogs? The things we used to wear. I used to be obsessed with those shirts that said no fear, right? Right? They had the hyper-colored shirts. You touch them, they would change color a little bit. Massimo and Stussy, right? It was, it, was, it was a big thing what shirts you got to wear in middle school. I, I remember the, man, middle school was so long ago, but, but it, I, I remember it so vividly. Partially, and this is what I want to talk to you a little bit about, partially because it was so challenging for me. I had a, and this is going to segue, but I, I promise you, I had a real hard time in middle school because I had moved states, moved schools, and didn't have any friends. And in fifth grade, I was a big deal. Man, I wish you could have met me in fifth grade. You would be like, dang, if you saw me jump out of the swings, because that was like the big deal in fifth grade. You would swing, you'd get going in the swing. I could do a backflip out of the swing, nail it. Except one time I broke my arm on my birthday doing that trick. So then I ended up in the emergency room while all my friends were at my birthday party eating my cake. Never got any of that cake either. That's one of several terrible birthday stories. Another one is when I convinced my younger brother to play hide and go seek with me on the roof. And uh, it was days before my birthday party. We were very young. My parents discovered what we were doing. I had convinced him to do it. He was much younger than me, of course. And uh, they took away my birthday party for that. They said, your punishment, you're losing your whole birthday party. So I'm actually, to this day, a year younger than I should be because they took that birthday away. But, but there were these kids at school I really wanted to like me. And really wanted to accept me. He really wanted to let me sit with them at lunch and let me hang out with them. And they were kind of potheads and skaters. And, you know, they were, they were super loose with girls. And it was, it was not, not the crew that you should want to be around, period. But, but that was the, the group that, that I, I, I wanted to, to like me. And so I'd hang out at the periphery. And they tolerated it to a point. But they uh, also gave me a designation that sort of spoke to the fact that my fifth grade version of myself had stayed in the fifth grade version of myself. Meanwhile, all of these guys began to grow taller and get bigger and get armpit hair, right? I didn't have any armpit hair. Uh, I would always change in gym class with my arms down, right? You girls, you don't understand what I'm talking about. You got your first armpit hairs, you shaved them right off. You fools, right? What, what, what I wouldn't have given for an armpit hair back in the day, man. But uh, I had buck teeth, and I had a bowl cut, and I had glasses, and uh, so they called me Rat Boy. And for, for a long time, that was, that was, they let me kind of hang with them somewhat, but they, they would call me that name, and they would bully me, and it got real bad. And I actually ended up having to, to, to be hospitalized for a short uh, little stint because of some, some of the things that came about from the physical abuse and the bullying that took place and went down. And, and uh, you know, of course, you don't have to be a psychologist to know that that sort of uh, trauma leaves an impact on you, not just physically, uh, but also emotionally and psychologically. And that's the first time I can remember really uh, developing masks, developing different masks that I would, you know, sort of 
uh, construct and then perfect and then pull out for the appropriate occasion when I didn't feel sufficient, when I didn't feel secure in who God made me to be. And so I needed to put something together uh, to present myself to the world. And I guess the reason I tell you this story is because the title of my message is Winning the War Within. Winning the War Within. Because if you're going to mobilize and do all that God's called you to do, which let me just speak over you prophetically, Shoreline City, eye has not seen and ear has not heard even the, the, the smallest percentage of what God intends to do through you, what God dreams to do, uh, of to do through you, what, what God has had in his heart and on his mind from before the foundation of the world to do in your church, to do in your city, to reach Dallas as just a start, to touch Texas, to spread out across this country. Your leaders are not only, of course, great pastors within your house and leading a, a phenomenal team and, of course, a part of a, an amazing move of God within your church, but also God has seen fit to raise them up and give them platform and opportunity beyond the four walls of your church. And, and let me just say that to the degree that you come in on a weekend and, oh, I wish Pastor Earl was preaching. I wish, I, wish, I wish they were here. I wish. Let me tell you something. The way that you also release them to their calling, the way that you see what they're doing across the country and the world as a, as a reflection of what he's doing through your house, I'm telling you, God will bless all of you as he blesses them. He'll bless all of you as the anointing that's on their lives runs down, like the Bible says, where there's unity, there's oil running down the beard of Aaron, down to the dress of Aaron, down to the skirt and to the feet of Aaron. I'm telling you, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, the entire body of Christ gets blessed when you serve and protect your leaders like God has called you to. Pray for them, release them, encourage them. And pray for their kids as well, because the mantle that's upon them, uh, while it's a joy for them to do, and they do it effortlessly, it seems, it, it is a heavy thing to, to live out your calling and to, to have the demand that's on their, their lives, not only nationally, but, but internationally as well. But as you do all that you're doing, uh, as you mobilize, the enemy will also attack you from within. And my experience has been that the battles that come from within are the most sinister and the hardest to spot and perhaps the most dangerous because we, we know to be on guard for the devil. We know to be on guard for the wiles of the Satan, of, of, the, of, the, of the wicked one, right? Of course, he's, he's like a lion. He roams to and fro on the earth and he's wanting that. We know that. We're sort of like dukes up, you know? You know, you go into these things like a little bit like, you, well, you learn. You take some shots and you learn. You take some sucker punches and you learn. I've, learned, I've had to learn that Mondays are for me a day where I'm at a low. You pour it out all day Sunday. It can be real easy. I find myself on a bad week uh, up to in the morning on Sunday nights, hard to come down, hard to wind down. And so on, on those Mondays, then I'm, I'm, I'm sleep deprived and I'm, I've poured out. And that's just a day where I, I've sort of learned that, that Mondays, I'm going to, no thank, no thank you, devil. I'm going to fill my heart up twice as much. I'm gonna, I've, already, I've already, you know, on, on a normal Monday by noon, listened to three or four sermons. I've, I've had a great time with Jesus. I've got myself a good time walking out, walking out the frustrations, walking out the stress, walking out whether it was a good week or a bad week. It's hard as a pastor, you know, no matter how good the Sunday morning message was, you got to get pregnant again on Monday, right? And no, no, no woman wants to have a baby and get her pregnant the next day, but that's what it feels like sometimes to creatively pour out. But then I got to get inspired again. There's, there's another Sunday coming and and so I've had to learn to keep the shield up. And you will learn that as you serve Jesus for a while, to be on guard from the enemy's attack. But what no one ever told me was that the most difficult fight I was going to face was within. 
It was not just the battle that came from the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, but it was, it was, it was that own battle I was dealing with. It wasn't just the devil coming at me from without. It was also my own fallen nature attacking me, self-sabotaging me from the inside. And I, I began to think when I really was starting to struggle with this that, that I was crazy or I was the only one or, or I was just some, some sort of freak or maybe it was unfit for doing anything great for God until I came across uh, Paul, the apostle, admitting that he deals with the exact same thing. So you're not crazy, and I'm not crazy. Or if we are, we're not the only crazy ones. And uh, Paul, the apostle who, my gosh, this guy, Paul, are you kidding me? Paul, who wrote 13 books of the Bible? What'd you do this week, right? 13, this dude wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. You know what I'm saying? This guy, this guy was so bad to the bone that people would try and get in front of his shadow. Like if he was walking by, they'd be like, ooh, ooh, get me in front of Paul's shadow. I just want the shadow of Paul to fall on me. Now, maybe it wasn't anything to do with Paul or his shadow. Maybe it was the faith of believing that this man of God, that getting under his shadow was going to bless him. What, it, that would happen to Jesus. People would reach out and touch the hem of his garment. There was nothing special about the hem of that dude's garment. But he would say to people, as you have believed, so let it be to you. I'm telling you, to a surprisingly large degree, God has given us control of the checkbook when it comes to our faith of what we're willing to accomplish. Someone one time said his name was, his name rhymed with Sturgeon. So if you're a church person, you know this dude was official, right? This dude named, it rhymed with Sturgeon. He said, if you believe God a little, he'll bless you a little. But if you believe him to the hilt, he will bless you to the full. And he said those three words, let it be. Long before Paul McCartney sang them, y'all. He said, let it be should be called the rule of God's kingdom. Because God will let it be according to your faith. And it's crazy how, how true this is. You know, you wake up and you go, you go, eh, another day. Hump day, Wednesday, nothing interesting ever happens to me. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, you'll be, you'll be proved right. right. Nothing will happen to you. Yeah. You go walk into your church on a Sunday and go, eh, I don't really like this song. This is out of key. Oh, this, this worship experience isn't as well attended as the other. I wish I had come to the 11 o'clock at, at Mockingbird Station. You, know what? you see what I'm saying? You, you, you'll be proved right. Because God has put power into your tongue. He's put power into how you speak. As you believe, as you speak, so it will be done for you. So you could wake up and go, oh, this day, I'm already behind on my bills. I, I need to send these calls. Da, 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 da. And I wish I had a bigger apartment. And, and I wish I had a nicer car. You know what? You'll begin to see how you speak. So you see your car is crappy. You'll see your job is restrictive. You'll see the promotion that someone else got that you didn't get. You'll begin to see your husband is lazy. You'll begin to see your kids as, as too noisy. But if you choose to speak in faith, if you choose to say, I'm thankful I got a car, I'm thankful I got a job, I'm thankful that this worship experience is going to be one where God's going to touch me. I, I believe, I'm telling you, your whole life will transform around you because you said so. You said so. God made the world by speaking, let there be light, and there was. As you speak, so you see. Now, of course, don't twist this. I'm not saying you get to say, my car is a Maserati, and your Honda Accord now is a Maserati. But what I'm saying is, if we're willing to speak in faith the life that Jesus died for us to live, if we're willing to believe that we're not common, we're not ordinary, we were chosen from before the world was made, we're anointed and appointed, if we choose to believe that we are loved, that we are filled, we are empowered, we are sent out. It transforms everything. And so 
Paul, who wrote 13 books of the Bible, did all this great stuff for God. Yet what did he say? This is Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. He said, I am a mystery to myself. (laughs) Y'all, can you relate to that? I'm a mystery to me. The problem is we try and explain to people how to interact with us and talk to us. And and sometimes we need to be honest enough to go, you know, I know you don't get me right now, but I don't get me either. So that makes two of us. Paul said, I'm a mystery to me for I want to do what is right, but I end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. It begins, what? Winning the war within by admitting there is a battle. Because you can't win a war you won't admit to being in. So we have to choose to say, like, Paul, you know what? I am a mystery to me. And there is a battle within. There is a fallen nature. God did save me and seal me. And one day he's going to glorify me. But in the meantime, there's this icky middle called sanctification, which is the rub which is the hardest part, which is where this fleshly nature that's still there, it doesn't have power over us, but it's still there. It it seeks to influence us. It it seeks to boss us around. So what you have to do is you have to say to your fleshly nature, hey, bossy pants, you're not the boss of me, right? It's like someone who's been fired from a job, but they're still walking around the the, the company, you know, holding the world's best boss mug, you know, like grinning like Michael Scott, like making lame jokes, trying to get everybody to, to chuckle, right? And he's telling, hey, I need you to be in it too. And you're like, oh, and you're used to doing what he said. He was the boss, right? That's your fleshly nature. It's still there. It just doesn't have power anymore. But your muscle memory is honed to, to jump when it says jump, to, 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 to crawl when it says crawl, to Google when it says Google, to scroll when it says scroll, to pull your validation from what people in your life are saying about you or the photos that they're tagging you in or not tagging you. It, your fleshly nature wants you to live an inward-focused, narcissistic, miserable life where you have your masks in your closet and you pull out the approach appropriate mask for this moment? Oh, do I need my validation mask? Do you like me? Do you know the vacation I just went on? Do you see how much money I spent to be at this resort? Did you see my photo with the pina colada I was in? Did you notice that it was, that was, that was in Mexico, y'all. That was the Bahamas. Did you notice? Did you notice? Am I enough now? Am I enough now? Do you like me now? Am I okay now? Is, is my church big enough now? Did you see that shot of me preaching to this many? Am I okay now? Do you, am, am I worth it now? Am I worth, what are we all asking? Am I lovely? Am I lovable? Am I enough? Am I worthy? Because our fleshly nature is telling us what to do. And we were so used to doing whatever it said when it was in charge, when we didn't have a spirit man activated. But the Bible says we were given a new nature. We were given a new birth. We were given a new citizenship. Our feet are still on this planet, but our citizenship is in heaven where Christ is. And when he appears, then we will appear with him in glory. So we have to go, hold on a second. You're bossy. But you ain't the boss of me. Y'all, we're under new management. Come on, there's been a hostile takeover. Somebody acquired the, a hostile takeover is where our company is bought. But, but the, the majority of the people in the company, even sometimes a lot of the shareholders didn't want to sell. But it was bought anyway because the price was right. And guess what? That's exactly what happened to you. The price was right. It wasn't gold. It wasn't silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ as though a lamb without blemish, without spot. The price was right. 
Come on, tell your neighbor, the price was right. He shed his blood. He proved his love. He cares about you. We walk around going, does he love me? Does he love me not? Does he love me? Does he love me not? He says, look at the scars in my hands. Touch the, the hole in my side. I love you. I love you. I bought you. I bought you. You weren't a white elephant gift that he got stuck with by accident. He opened it up and went, oh, oh, you did that when you were in college? Oh, you think that sometimes about your kids? Oh, 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 you watch that when you're on the business trip without your spouse? Oh, I want nothing to do with you. We get trapped into thinking that, that God somehow is offended and shocked and he's almost telling the angels like, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I brought them into the family. I don't, let me tell you something. He knew every dark thing you would ever do before you did it. He knew every dark thing you would ever do while he was hanging on the cross. And that's why he paid for your sins. He purchased you out of death. He bought you out of slavery. He liked it, so he put a ring on it. That's why he put a robe on your shoulders. That's why he brought you. He knew about what you did when you were a prodigal. He knew what you did when you were in that faraway city, wasting your inheritance with prostitutes and wanton living. But he also knows what you're capable of when you come to yourself. But here's the danger. You can't come to yourself by yourself. You need the church. You need God's people up in your corner. You need family around you to motivate you to holy living, to speak into you the, the warrior that you are, the king that you are, the queen that you are, the royalty that's in you. You need, you need us around you to knock off the rough edges. A knife can't sharpen itself by itself. And you can't become yourself by yourself. It wasn't until he left the pigs and left the prostitutes and left the party and came home that the text says he came to himself. And that's why I'm telling you, the connection to the local church is going to be the difference maker in the progress you make between this war that you're waging with yourself and losing it and winning it. It's got to be in connection with God's people. You're loco if you're rolling solo. You got to get up into one of the Shoreline City small groups. You got to get into the family. You got to get on a team. You got to begin to bump into each other. You'll get frustrated. You'll get hurt. You'll get skipped over. You'll get neglected. Someone will be rude. Guess what? That's a good thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said one time, the church is a place of broken dreams, and that's a good thing. Because only when the church fails to be what we wished it was, only when our leaders disappoint us, only in those moments when the humanity of each other knocks into each other, can we then lean into the grace of God and lean into the spirit of God and fight for what God wants to do instead of running away from it, which would be so easy, only we would stay the same. You got to declare war on that part of you that wants to pull away from conflict and instead bear down and have the difficult conversations and, and, and lean into the coaching, lean into the leadership, lean into the people in your life who love you enough to tell you that's messy and that's holding you back. And here's where you could be if you just responded well to authority. But every time we, we bring this up, it's like, oh, well, you don't know. And da, da, da. it's like, you know what? Basically, you're self-identifying as someone who has hit their ceiling. You smash into a lid to the extent that, that you don't respond well to those speaking life into you, trying to help you. You hold yourself back and stunt your own growth. But if you be open to the fact that there's a war going on for all of us against the, the version of ourselves that we don't want to be. For me, it's that middle school Levi, I call him evil Levi, right, who found out he wasn't enough, which isn't true, by the way and was listening to the wrong voices and trying to please the wrong people and then began coping and doing these things to, to tell the world I'm enough. And now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm at the whim of my feelings. And that's why it's so easy to fall into a bad mood. 
You know, the funny thing to me about a bad mood is, you know, it should be as simple as you had some wrong thoughts, you caught those thoughts, and now you're out of it. But for me, the funk that comes over me when I've shifted into a bad mood is so difficult to course correct from. I don't know if that's you at all or if I'm in a church full of people with halos and I mistakenly showed up in a black shirt and I shouldn't be here invited to the party. But but the the reality is for me, I, I, I have bad days and bad moments and low moments and times where I've, I've said the wrong thing and done the wrong thing and then it's become a pattern and now it's like, well, you know what? I've been in it. It's easier just to stay in it. There's always tomorrow. There's always next week. I think the enemy wants to tell us that, you know, sort of like clutching the fact that, you know, the new mercies from Lamentations, they, they supposedly come at sunrise, you know. These mercies are new. They, they come every morning as compassions fail not. And that's true. But it's not the only time you can get new mercies. It's not like it's dependent on the clock, like 11.59 central, and that's when the new mercies come. Too bad they're, they're, they don't roll over because I had extra mercies last Thursday. I was on a roll then, you know what I'm saying? But the reality is you can, you can hit that button anytime you want, request new mercies. You can turn that button on. The flight attendant will come on over. What? I need some new mercies. I'm in a funk. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the version of myself I want to be. And God is willing to rush into your life if you're willing to be humble enough to ask for help, if you're willing to say uncle and tap out and submit and... Because the problem with always bowing up and always needing to be the guy that has enough and be the girl that, that is enough is, is as long as you're like this, God can never anoint you with oil. He can only anoint you with oil when you're willing to get down on your knees. The Bible says God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So winning the war within begins when we admit there's a battle and we open our lives up to God's help and we open up our lives to the help from the people that are seated to our left and to our right. And if this is blessing you and an encouragement to you, that, that which I'm talking about here in, in this weekend's message, and I hope you'll come back next week as the Mobilize series continues. God's just going to continue to speak truth to your heart and truth to your life, and it's just going to get better and better and better and better. And you watch as, as God just continues to change the world through your church, through each of you. But let me just say uh, that if this is an encouragement to you, you're like, oh, I would love to read more, hear more about this. I, I have a whole book on this topic called I Declare War, Four Keys to Winning the Battle with Yourself. And I, I share more of my story, journey, some things that have really been helpful to me, even to this very day, this very moment, things that, that would encourage you, I believe. Um, so check that out. This has been sort of the Costco-sized sample. And if you like what you've uh, tasted from your little tiny paper cup, the chimichangas are on aisle 17. <laughs> Uh, but let me, as we close, just, just leave you with one really important thought. And that thought is um, you must not, in this battle, rely on willpower because you've been given access to God's power. Don't rely, you know, because talking about, hey, we have, we have uh, battled the fight and we got to just lace up our, our boots and we got to sort of like get our gloves on and we got to you know, get our mouth guard fitted, right? And we, we're going to battle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to battle, right? I don't want to be the version of me I don't want to be. Is it could kind of imply the idea that you're just going to do it. Now, let me just tell you that there needs to be some aspect of that. Because in the church world, we say stupid things like let go and let God. When what we should be saying is trust God and get to work. Yeah. Trust God and, get, and roll up your sleeves. Like, right, you got to be willing to, you got to be willing to give your all. Paul said, I labor with all my might according to the divine power that is, is, is inside of me. So it's not one or the other. It's not like it's you or God. It's not either the, the Lord does it or, or, or you're willing to, to do it. It's, I, I believe, it's trusting God for what only he can do, 
Meanwhile, we do everything that we can do. And so as you uh, fight this battle, this is how I fight my battles. We're not just going to, you know, do everything we can do. We're also going to trust God for what only he can do, which is so much better than willpower. And what does that look like practically? Let me just give you three things before we pray. The number one would be gratitude. Trusting in God's power looks like gratitude. Why? Well, because 1 Thessalonians says it's his will for our life. 5.18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let me encourage you this week to send a text message or a letter telling someone how thankful you are for the contribution they've made to your life. Write your pastor a letter. Uh, let, let him know what he's meant to you. It will, it will cause you to trust in God's power. God blesses gratitude. Number two, I would say worship. Worship. Don't you miss the worship songs before the message as though they're the previews before the movie? You need the worship to prepare, prepare you for the word just as much as you need the word to prepare you for the worship. And so I would say make sure your worship life is strong because it's impossible to worship and worry at the same time. And then number three, and finally, I would say that you need to tell your story. Tell your story. Whatever it is, whatever your journey is, involve other people in that. Whether it's a share your story thing on the website or letting your, 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 your campus pastor know what you've, something that's happened as you tried to tithe, share your story so that can be a blessing to the greater Shoreline City Church family. Share your story on your Instagram, the things that God's speaking to you, the brokenness inside of you. Let the world know what, what, what your church has meant to you and, and how it's been a, a benefit to your life so that other people will think, man, I want that because we're all self-motivated. So you telling your story of what Shoreline City's meant to you on your socials, that will cause other people to want to come as well. You have, you have a verse of that, Pastor? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So yes, it's the power of what Jesus is doing, but it's also us opening our mouths and speaking. Let the people of the Lord who have been redeemed say so. Can I pray for you? Jesus, bless this church. Bless their precious leaders. Give them great vision, strength, and a fresh filling of your spirit and power as they mobilize to reach lost people until you come back or we die trying. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.